Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 13th of May 2013. For newcomers, please help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll find lots of other sites listed there. These are all the official sites that I have. They all have audios for download for free. If I go through the big system, the big plan that you're born into and how it all works and so on. And you can also get transcripts for print up from all those sites in English of many of the talks I've given. And if you go into alanwatsentinel.eu, you can get transcripts in other languages to choose from. Number two, you bring me to you. You're the audience that support me because I don't take on money from uh, advertisers or anybody else. And that gives me a freer hand to to say things I want to say and so on. So if you want to keep help me take along here, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And in the books, I go through the art of chronology down through the ages. It's still being used today, though. They have different names for it today. And uh, every government uses these departments of misinformation and public relations and propaganda, uh, right down to even your local police officers. They always have a spokesperson for propaganda or PR, basically to spin the truth or soften the truth or even omit the truth if necessary to make it more palatable to the public. So I go through all of that, as I say, in the website and uh, so you can buy the books and discs and so on. And from the US to Canada, don't forget, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office or you can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal. And as we go through this forced uh, inflationary period we're going through, uh, which is also devaluating uh, your currency all the time across the whole planet, we're all getting devalued at the same time. Uh, then straight donations are really seriously welcome because, of course, everything, as you well know, is going up in price and, and your dollar and your cash are, are, is falling all the time. We're going into austerity, but that's the plan of it all is austerity. So, as I say, uh, you can certainly help me out if you go along with it. Now, what I do go through is the, the, the farce of the system, because truly, you understand, a long time ago, the big boys who set up the foundations to take over the world, private foundations run by the richest people on the planet at the time, set themselves up to be a parallel government. The fact the real government, they called it a parallel government, which would work alongside all governments, advise them eventually on all policies, which they do, like the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute for International Affairs, both the same organization except ones in the U.S. And they also have these organizations across the world, and they have one for all the political parties inside the EU Union and the Parliament as well. So in other words, they're completely involved and intermeshed with governments at all levels, these organizations, big private foundations, and they do put their own people into often the top positions of power as presidents and prime ministers. They have done that for a 100 years, according to Carol Quigley, who was her own personal historian, because they do have archives of their own history and the contribution, as they call it, to, to history, which they have made serious contributions like, well, wars and things like that. 
wars are awfully important to, to not only take over the, all the world's resources, which is one of their main um, uh, objectives, but also to change the societies and all competing uh, on all sides, actually, all of the conflict. And war does that. Quigley said himself, you can get more social policies and social changes occurring in five years of war than you can in 50 years of peace by using propaganda. So war is awfully good to rapidly change culture, to accept new normals. And it's done all the time. And since 9-11, of course, across the whole world, they've rammed all the new normals down our throats. They're still going ahead with it. And some of the things are just nonsensical, but you'll be put in prison if you mention them now, some of them. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system. And it truly is the big system because the boys that set it up a long time ago, back in the early 1900s, decided to take over all of the resources of the world, the entire planet. And that's all resources that you would need to live on, including food and water eventually, and that's happening as we live. So you understand it was not to make just a world of hands across the sea and smiley faces, but really to bring in a new elite, an elite that was the richest on the planet. That really was their their modus operandi, was riches, power through money and money creation, bankers in other words. And uh, they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Uh, They joined it with, they came from the Cecil Rhodes Foundation along with Lord Rothschild who was uh, in it with him. And they also merged with the Milner Group, Lord Alfred Milner, who actually was from Germany. And they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which has uh, all top uh, um, newspapers, newspaper members and all the magnets uh, on board with them, they are members. It has all heads of all political parties across the world, left and right wing, all members of it. And the same in the U.S. under the Council on Foreign Relations, which is one of its American branches. And they also have all of Europe and the European politicians as members as well. Most journalists are members of it, the big ones. And um, and a lot of big corporations, too, are members of it. In fact, if anything, I really think a lot of these corporations were started up by the one group at the top. And still are, by the way, owned by them. We know that Goldman Sachs, for instance, if you go through what they own, they own the military-industrial complex, all the big companies beneath it that you, you, you know so well. They actually own them. So world power, of course, through owning everything is part of the technique, but also to bring in a new scientific system where everyone is monitored from birth to death. And I'll be touching again on that tonight because they're using Scotland as a test bed for that one under the GIRFEC project, G-I-R-F-E-C project. And literally you get an advocate put on it at you at birth who will go through your life with you and give you and monitor you and get psychological testing from the age of about two months right through. Isn't that something? All the horrors of sci-fi movies are coming to pass because you understand the boys who wrote all the horrors were in on the big plan long ago and the movies were just part of predictive programming, getting you used to the idea. And that's how we get our ideas from, that's how we get used to them, through movies, through fiction. 
But here's an article here. It says, National ID system comes a step closer to reality after a plan for a biometric database of all Americans is revealed in the immigration bill under review in the Senate. And this is from the British papers talking about it. It says, uh, it says it could mandate the creation of a national biometric database to identify residents in the U.S. The technology referred to simply as a photo tool in the proposed legislation presented Thursday would be used to verify the identity of employees before they were hired to ensure they were in the country legally. Privacy experts have sounded alarmed that the national database would further usher in the era of Big Brother government by allowing authorities to track residents, described by one analyst as a government version of Foursquare. And it says the Border Security, Economic Opportunity and Immigration Modernization Act, S744, includes a measure for the Department of Homeland Security to develop an innocuously labelled photo tool by which to verify a person's identity. The Secretary shall develop and maintain a photo tool that enables employees employers to match the photo on a covered identity document provided to the employer to a photo maintained by a U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services database. The legislation uh, reads, it says. And the photo tool is only mentioned in the legislation to be used by an employer to identify, to verify an identity of an individual seeking employment. So that's everybody. In this proposed database, the government would amalgamate names, ages, social security numbers, and photographs of individuals in the U.S. connected to the driver's license or other state-issued photo ID. So everything's going ahead as planned, obviously. We're all the better people, the special folk, and all the agencies have created take care of all of us from birth to death, and, and so on, and so on, and so on. That's just the way it is. And remember, all the articles I read, I touch on tonight, I'll put up at cutting through the matrix.com at the end of the broadcast. And here's an article here, too, about Montreal. Montreal, for those who don't know it, is really Canada's Chicago, as far as the big, the big uh, organized crime go. And it's a corruption-related storm ripped through the Montreal area Thursday, wreaking devastation in one sturdy political machine inside and outside the city. The party that won Montreal's last municipal election was dissolved. And then the big suburb next door, the mayor who dominated the last six elections, was slapped with numerous criminal charges. It all occurred in just over an hour. So it goes into the, the whole idea of corruption for years and years and years, mainly to do with all, and this happens across the board to all, all the... Uh, states, provinces, and so on, and and the federal governments, because you understand when federal governments or the state hands out big contracts for jobs, you're talking about mega millions for each one, uh, they get kickbacks. The guy who gives them them gets kickbacks for giving them out of the public purse. That's how it's always worked, folks. It's always been like that, and uh, I don't see why it will ever change. But uh, it's just incredible money that's kicked back at times too. And of course they always give it to the right kind of guys to do the jobs. Selected people in the gang basically. That's how it always works. Even your local council does that too. That's why they're always digging up the same parts of the roads every year and filling it back up again. It's just to get rid of the excess surplus tax cash that they've got put by for their pals. Now Last night, when yes, the whole yesterday in Canada, it was snowing, you know, where I am. And we'd had maybe three or four days of sun, and then in came the snow again. And uh, it hit zero on the freezing mark. And um, it wasn't a pleasant day or night at all. And apparently it's to go back down to that probably tonight again, maybe a few days in a row. However, they're still prattling on about global warming, etc., etc. It's just astonishing, isn't it? 
There's an article here. It says, A creeping wall of ice destroys homes in Canada. And this is in May. It says, Several homes have been destroyed and many damaged in the Canadian province of Manitoba after ice from a nearby lake. There's so much ice this winter was pushed up onto the land, travelled over the land by the wind. And it says that it comes as another wave of ice came ashore on the banks of Millax Lake in Minnesota. They had the same problem. Strong winds pushed the flows towards the water's edge, creating cascades of ice crystals which pushed up against trees and houses. Well, they're taking houses down in Manitoba. It was, not, it was just crushing them. And they're still prattling on about global warming. Eh? This is May. This is May, folks. And also... You'll find that uh, Al Gore, I mean, I understand the people who are put up front with long histories, family histories, by the way, in the same movements, and who are incredibly wealthy, always get wealthier with the movements they work at. And Al Gore was one of the first ones to push out there for global warming and all this stuff, all this stuff that the Club of Rome dreamed up. They said that global warming would fit the bill. That would be the excuse for running the world and changing the way we, we all live, you see, in the 1970s. So here it is. And uh, Al Gore was a guy who pushed himself out front with the carbon credits because he, he planted profit mightily, one of the many guys who profit mightily off carbon credits and carbon trading. And it's because all this is a massive tax on produce, you see. And it says, number one, multi-million circulation in, in national daily build has here an unflattering piece about Al Gore and his newly found mega riches titled Al Gore earned 75 million euros in one month. So profitable can, can the global warming scam be? Never mind that there hasn't been a bit of warming in 15 years recorded. And it starts with Rich Richard Gore, the former vice president of the USA, Albert Al Gore, alone in January earned 75 million euros. Now he's, he has an estimated wealth of 153 million euros, 200 million dollars. That's an increase of 11,000%. Much of this comes from spreading fear over global warming, which again hasn't happened in 15 years. The more fear that Gore spreads, the more his investments in green energy and climate protection technologies and activities pay off. Mrs. Bild also informs readers that Gore earned huge amounts from sales of shares of Apple and current network TV. This was sold in January for 382 million euros to Al Jazeera. Uh, a TV network in Qatar. An estimated 70 million euros found their way into Gore's bank account. The, politic- the politicians are stakeholder in various companies and investment funds. Amongst other things, he's a co-founder of Generation Investment Management, which made a profit from 2008 to 10 of 166 million euros, which is not too shabby. Says, gee, suddenly, where are all the anti-capitalists, the anti-speculation greens, Bill also tells its readers of another source for income. Because of its popularity, Gore receives a fee from industry associations, symposiums, and other events up to $130,000 per speech. speech. So what on earth could Gore be possibly doing with all that that climate cash? Bill tells us, it says, With his millions, Gore bought a 20-room mansion in Nashville, Tennessee, and a luxury beach house in Montecito, it says, California. So nice uh, nice losing can be. It says, had Al Gore won the U.S. presidential election in in 2000 against George Bush, he would have earned only 306,000 euros per year. Most Germans have a strong aversion to wealth of the sort, an unflattering piece for Al Gore. Bad publicity, to say the least. 
and it says, uh, and then they went on about the rest of it and so on. But I mean, this is what it's all about, folks. The guys who push the big changes, which we all have to pay for, because when they put the carbon taxes on you individually and tax you on how you live and how to heat yourself, etc. I'm not kidding that about that. Everything's to get an energy tax on it. Every item you purchase will have an energy tax on it on what it costs to make that item, and you'll end up paying it. And then the big boys are trading these big uh, free, free, they get free carbon credits to trade amongst themselves from the government. And of course, you pay for all those free uh, credits, and they're making billions of it already. And you think you're free. Hmm. What a con, eh? It's always with us, chronology, isn't it? Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix and... I put an article up tonight too about GMOs for babies' formulas and food, and how Similac rejects a resolution that would require the labelling of products with genetically engineered ingredients, and eventually cut all GMOs. Well, they rejected it, so this organisation is going to keep fighting it and see what they can come up with. It's called As You Sow, as a group, a non-profit group, and it focuses on shareholder advocacy. And they've introduced a resolution at the Abbott Laboratory shareholders meeting in late April asking the company to remove genetically modified ingredients like soy from their Similac products until long-term safety testing has shown that they're not harmful. See, they haven't done, they've never ever done long-term safety. At least they tell us that. Personally, I think they have because some of the big GMO boys like Monsanto, their own staff won't eat the stuff that they produce. They bring in organic caterers for their own canteen. So that should tell us all we need to know about this this uh, poison that they're putting out there. And also, too, DuPont, it says, Abbott investors vote on GMO resolutions. DuPont shareholders today will vote on a resolution on genetically engineered seeds, while Abbott Laboratories uh, and shareholders, um, it says, Friday will ask the company to remove GMOs from the instant, instant formula and other nutritional products until the long-term safety proving that they're safe uh, is done. It's not been done that there either. So that's all the big companies are involved in this, and they're all turning it down right now. And there's even politicians, I think, in, in the U.S., that have worked for for, uh, for some of these big companies on the, the Food and Drug uh, Association there. And they're all for passing this stuff, as it is, obviously, since they still get a lot of shares from the companies they work for. If they, if there's, I think, actually, they still work for them, as far as I'm concerned. They're paid off. All these institutions are meant to look after you are staffed with guys all worked in the big industry themselves. And I'm sure they still get kickbacks and so on. And that's real world, folks. That's how it really works. Now, the banks, as we know, they, they give you a new normal and then they, they go for it. Get, they give you a little time to get it sunk into your head that this is normal. They did this with the so-called haircuts in Cyprus. And other, other countries have had this happen already, apparently, uh, very quietly. But it says EU Bank, the European Union Bank uh, Union, should go beyond bail-ins, Denmark's uh, Vestager said. And it says that um, Denmark, which would introduce bail-ins uh, two years ago, would only join a European banking union if it offers better taxpayer protection than its current setup, Economy Minister uh, Margaret Vestager uh, said. 
the union should give insurance against taxpayers paying to clean up banks and build a stronger and more stable banking industry. Vestra said today at a parliamentary committee meeting which addressed next week's gathering of European Union finance chiefs in Brussels. Central powers to handle failing banks are the second leg of the EU's banking union union strategy. Now, it's so amazing because the EU's banking strategy was to to give a reason to get the EU's central bank set up. So the crash of everybody's economy by getting every country member, every member of uh, the EU to bail out all these other banks. And so they borrow money from, from private bankers. To, to throw into, for instance, Spain and, and Greece and so on, and other countries, uh, and then get into debt themselves. And now, of course, they're, they're, then it's time to scalp the, the, the depositors who still have money in banks. So it's going to plan, as far as I'm concerned. This is the whole agenda behind it. The Royal Institute of International Affairs uh, set up the Bank for International Settlements, remember. They set up the IMF. These are all private institutions. Uh, and they center up the private central banks, private institutions, and the bloc countries, like the European as a bloc, their new private central bank too. And they all go under the, the, the responsibility of the Bank for International Settlements, again, the private bank, the top honcho of the whole deal. So it's going to plan. They cause the crisis, and then they give you the solutions, which is just the part, the next part of the plan. That's how they do it. And now they want to plunder depositors' uh, um, money, basically, after all, they've already used uh, taxpayers' money to bail the banks out before, after two, in 2008 onwards. So now it's time to plunder the depositors as well. It's just amazing. They won't change the system and get rid of the, the whole crook, the crooked system that runs it, because it's always been crooked, run by the same people, generations of them. And it's a, a big con. Of course, it's a con. That's all it is. Also, too, Endrigan is a murderer, claims Syrian minister after a deadly car bombing. The Syrian's information minister has blamed Turkey's government for deadly car bombing near the Syrian border and branded the prime minister, Tayyip Erdogan, a murderer, the state-run Russian TV company RT reported. And, uh, you know, it says that all responsibility for what's happened lies with the Turkish government and Endrigan. Personally, he says. Now, it's, it's true that the Turkish government has been in, in cahoots with the U.S. right now. They're getting various monies given to them and weaponry, too. That started after Hillary Clinton visited them some while back. And uh, and they've agreed to take part. Of course, they have been taking part in sending some of their own people in to join this big group of Al-Qaeda boys and the rest of them paid um, mercenaries to attack Syria under the guise of freedom and so on. I'll put that up tonight. Also, the Deutsche Bank and IFC accused of bankrolling Vietnam firms' land grabs. Now, the big boys I was talking about, like, IFC is simply the, the lending arm of the World Bank. You understand? And they're taking over lots of the world's land, rich in resources and so on. Anyway, it says, um, here they go. It says, two Vietnamese firms bankrolled by Deutsche Bank and the International Finance Corporation, the world's bank private lending arm, are leading a wave of land grabs in Cambodia and Laos, causing widespread evictions, illegal logging and food insecurity. Right on schedule, Royal International Affairs. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix Talking about the big boys again uh, uh, From, as I say, the Royal Institute of International Affairs It set up all these big institutions Including the World Bank, etc And I've read articles months ago About them grabbing land all over Africa too Some of the best agricultural land too They're grabbing everything across the planet right now So they're right on schedule with what they plan to do Take over all resources, you see and it says, two Vietnamese firms bankrolled by Deutsche Bank and the International Finance Corporation, the world's bank's private lending arm, are leading the wave of land grabs in Cambodia and Laos, it says, taking houses and evictions, a whole lot. It says here, we've known for some time that corrupt politicians in Cambodia and Laos are orchestrating the land-grabbing crisis as doing, doing so much damage in the region, said Megan McInnes, head of Global Witnesses Land Team. In a statement, this report completes the picture by exposing the pivotal role of Vietnam's rubber barons and their financiers, Deutsche Bank and the IFC. Global Witness reached the land deals between two governments and the firm and found that HAGL and VRG had together been handed more than 200,000 hectares, which is nearly 500,000 acres of land, including protected forests with rosewood in which to grow rubber. Land was often sold without the villagers' consent or knowledge and without compensation, the report alleges. Families were forced off the land or expected to work for the rubber plantation, although jobs were few and far between. Well, it's just slavery, because the big boys, big bankers have always run on slavery in one form or another. Since when they resist, communities face violence, uh, arrest and detention, often at the hand of armed Cambodian security forces who are on the investors' payroll, the report claims. Also in Britain, it's said here that um, it says foreign buyers, understand the Royal Institute of International Affairs, it said they'd bring in a new feudal system. Uh, once they had used democracy to its utmost to get what they wanted, not because they bring in real democracy, but they would bring in a feudal system. Again, Carl Quigley talked about this in his book, The Anglo-American Establishment, when he laid out the whole plan for them. And so all the institutions that the, the, the public had built up, like gas, electricity and so on, they'd all be sold off to their private pals in the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. They would form all these mega companies, which they have done over the last hundred years. So they'd get it for peanuts. Now, so they're selling off the, the, the Royal Mail Service in Britain. And it says, Business Minister Michael Fallon has revealed that several overseas buyers have expressed significant interest in buying the Royal Mail. He told the Sunday newspaper that Royal Mail boss Moya Green had already embarked on a global roadshow promoting the 497-year-old business to sovereign wealth funds, foreign trade buyers and institutional investors. Moya Green, eh? Fallon said the UK government's preferred option for the state-owned company is for a stock market listing with postal workers given a 10% stake. I won't even cover their tax, will pay. He said Royal Mail have been testing investor appetite here in Canada and the US. Our preference is for an initial public offering, but if that's not possible, we'll look to alternatives such as a sovereign wealth fund or other institutional investors. News of the overseas interest in Royal Mail came as the post office prepared today to launch three current accounts at 29 of its branches in East Anglia ahead of a full rollout next year. Now, this is all done behind closed doors in secrecy. It's only now coming out. It's been going on for a while. But that's that's your governments for you, you know. You know this is your governments. What can you do? Because they're all corrupt. And they're all in on the big, the big agenda. Also tonight, I put up an article to do with uh, Prince Charles and uh, Jimmy Savile. 
because we know that they had a close relationship. It says, a top-level cover-up was ordered to hide close links between Prince Charles and the paedophile Jimmy Savile, that we can reveal today. The full truth has been uncovered following a seven-month battle by the Daily Star Sunday. So a raft of documents was released last year showing former Prime Minister Maggie Thatcher's dealings with Savile, but Whitehall mandarins ordered key paragraphs to be blanked out to save people's blushes. We challenged that ruling under the Freedom of Information laws and were initially turned down. It was only after a further appeal when we said it was in the public interest to expose what Thatcher and her officials were discussing that the information was fully or finally revealed last week. It shows that Jimmy Savile claimed Prince Charles had agreed to be a patron of one of his charities. And crucially last year, someone in power had decided we shouldn't know that fact, despite it being common knowledge that the Prince and the weirdo Savile were pals. Officials at the National Archive, which houses the documents last night, blamed the Cabinet Office under the control of Cabinet Secretary Sir Jeremy Haywood for redacting the documents. The cover-up concerned Savile asking Prince Charles to be patron of his Stoke Mandeville appeal. The letter to Thatcher from one of her aides reads, Even more encouraging, uh, though again confidential at this stage, Jimmy Savile tells me that the Prince of Wales has agreed to be a patron of the appeal. The nugget was contained in a one-page letter headed Prime Minister dated March 6, 1980 and initialed G.V. The letter was part of a Savile file released under the 30-year rule by the National Archives at Kew, southwest London, last year. It included pervert Savile declaring his love for the former PM, showing how well-connected he was to establishment figures. National Archives officially explained that the Charles paragraph was excluded under sections 40 and 41. Section 40 refers to information that it would breach the Data Protection Act to reveal that the person would have a legitimate expectation that the information would remain private. Section 41 covers information that was given in confidence. Two documents in the dossier are still being covered up and will say, stay secret for 40 years. There's your official secrets act in Britain for important people, VIPs. It says it will remain secret for 40 years after a ruling last October when claims about Savile began to emerge. It says one misspelling Savile's name is described as a letter from Jimmy Savile to Prime Minister undated. The other is telephone message from Jimmy Savile dated February the 5th, 1980. Why would they have to lock them up for 40 years? Information must be something. Eh? Last night it was still unclear whose blushes were being spared by those sections remaining blanked out. And so I'll put this up tonight too. It's got more data on it, but it's, it's what you know already, I'm pretty sure. Most folk pretty well know what's going on with all the characters that, uh, uh, supposedly the better kind of folk that take care of us and, and look after our interests, you know. <laughs> now, Cameron in Britain is under tremendous pressure, so it tells us, I wonder about it, to get out of the EU, but he doesn't want to, of course, and he's overseeing Obama, and Obama's pretty well told him to, 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 to really, you know, come down on his cabinet of conservatives to make them go along with staying in the EU, because after all, as I say, it was the Royal Institute of International Affairs and CFR that drafted up the, the policies for the Union of all the European countries. For those who don't know, this private group, this private club of, of VIPs drafted the whole thing up. And it was done in secrecy since 1948 onwards until they, just, they got it all done. So it says Cameron pushes the EU trade with Obama as the Tories' eye exit. 
And it says, uh, the Prime Minister David Cameron starts a visit to the US overshadowed by his Tory lawmakers planning a rebellion over British membership in the EU and a call from a cabinet minister to exit the bloc. Cameron will, will meet with President Barack Obama at the White House today to encourage talks on a trade deal between the EU and the US. Now, with, with the pull the US into the EU, the, the US taxpayers will be f- bailing them out forever and ever. And it says, as part of preparations for the Group of Eight Nations Summit in the UK host next month, at home Britain's membership in the bloc is being increasingly questioned. Education Secretary Michael Gove and uh, Defence Secretary Philip Hammond both said yesterday the UK should consider quitting the EU. Start start to consider it now when you're bankrupt by bailing out countries they got nothing to do with. But remember, too, that that's not going to happen. They'd never let this happen after all this work. A hundred years it took to to make all this happen, to get to where they are today. And as I say, the private foundation that set it all up, to run it all and make sure it happened, is still running the the country yet, the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Anybody who's anybody's a member of over there, and anybody who's anybody's a member of the CFR elsewhere, you can't apply to join them. They come to you after they've vetted you thoroughly. Absolutely thoroughly. So I'll put this up tonight for those who care to go over it. And another one too to do with the British Prime Minister David Cameron said Monday that all subjects and products should be up for discussion in coming negotiations and in the proposed US-EU free trade area. Now remember, the whole idea was to make three main trading blocks, same as Karl Marx said before that. Exactly the same. First Europe, right? A new Soviet which would not be democratic, by the way, which it is not. And then they would make a United Americas through this, the same process, start off with free trade deals, and then you bind them together, just like they bound every country gradually together for Europe. Same deal. And then the, 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 the one for the far eastern Pacific Rim region, with China, Australia, New Zealand, and a few other countries all in, in, in on board with it too. Then you bind them together until you've got global governance. That's the whole point of it, folks. So that a small unelected elite can continue to rule over you. And the ones that really rule over you are unelected. They have the power and the wealth. Anyway, so speaking at the White House after talks with U.S. President Barack Obama, Cameron said there's a real chance the negotiations could be launched in earnest by next month's Group of Eight summit in Northern Ireland. However, he said talks for the ambitions and the ambitious transatlantic trade and investment partnership have to cover all subjects. A message to other participants that are already insisting on excluding certain sensitive areas. So not only did they want to merge with the EU trade deals, free trade, they also want to merge with the third bloc, let's say the far eastern rim, Pacific countries too. So it's right, it's right on track. This is exactly what they were set up to do and they talked about and wrote about it a hundred years ago. It takes time to bring things in, you see. Almost one in five of those suspected of murder or rape in Britain last year was born abroad, the new figures show. And it says uh, across England and Wales, 93 of the 555 murder suspects were foreign nationals, as were 632 of the 3,436 charged with rape. A survey of the 43 police forces carried out by the Sun also showed that only one force did not record any rape or murder charges against a non-UK citizen. This is a London immigrant council, uh, immigrant accounted for more than a third of the 210 rape suspects who were charged, 24 from Jamaica, 14 from Nigeria, 
13 from Poland, 10 from Portugal. Out of 180 suspects charged with murder in the capital, 41 were foreign, including 7 from Jamaica and 5 each from Turkey, Poland and Sri Lanka, it says here. The only force not to record rape or murder charges was against a foreign national was a place in Wales, a small, small rural place. Only 37 out of the 43 police forces responded to requests for figures. Suffolk had the highest percentage of foreign murder suspects. Almost three quarters of those charged with the offence were immigrants. In Manchester, non-UK nationals accounted for 177 of the 832 people charged with rape in 2012. Now, what they're not telling you here, too, in some of these big cities, too, uh, there's other nationals that are probably second generation there, too, so they're not included. So they don't come in it, too, in places like Birmingham and so on. Hampshire Police Force refusal to, re- to reveal nationalities of eight foreign nationals charged with rape on the grounds that would lead to ethnic victimization. So, uh, for the sake of not hurting folks' feelings, it has to get worse. And tonight, too, I'm putting up an article. It, it really does help explain that the, the PNAC group, the Project for the New American Century, that was published in the 1980s and 90s, I should say, Twice and revised by Wolfowitz and republished in 1998. And everyone's heard, I'm sure, about this uh, this tactic that the Bush government used, the so-called neocons, as we're allowed to call them as neocons, to do with the countries they wanted to take out under the guise of, of liberation. Something like liberation theology, in a sense. They want to push liberation democracy by war, by forcing countries, invading them and forcing them to take this thing called democracy. Well, you see how well it works, because you can see Iraq's just wonderful, happy and safe and, and all that, and Iran, etc. It's all wonderful. And the same with all the other countries have flattened to the ground. But this is a national security strategy for a new century. It's called December 1999. And it's from, uh, again, it's from the Defense Department. But anyway, it says... Nearly 55 years ago, in his final inaugural address, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt reflected on the lessons of the first half of the 20th century. We've learned, he said, we cannot live alone at peace. We've actually, what do you mean? You never even tried. They were conned in the first war with Bernays and the rest of them all working towards it. But then getting back to it, we've learned that our own well-being is dependent on the well-being of other nations far away. We've learned to be citizens of the world. Remember that, that, that term, citizens of the world, world citizenship. The Rockefeller boys, they hand out awards to world citizens, members of the human community. These, those words have more resemblance than ever as we enter the 21st century. America's at the height of its influence and prosperity. Uh, really? This is but a time of rapid globalization when events halfway around the earth can profoundly affect our safety and prosperity. America must lead in the world to protect our people at home and our way of life. Americans benefit when nations come together to deter aggression and terrorism, to resolve conflicts, to prevent the spread of dangerous weapons, to promote democracy and human rights, and to plunder the oil fields. I should always put that in myself. To open markets and create financial stability, to raise living standards, that's where they flatten them across the world, you know, they destroy all their infrastructure. To protect the environment, that's why they set fire at the oil fields. To face uh, challenges that no nation can meet alone. The United States remains the world's most powerful force for peace and prosperity. Remember that term they used to say? Peace and prosperity partnerships. As we're ongoing through inflation and devaluation of the dollar. 
and the universal values of democracy and freedom. Our nation's central challenge and our responsibility is to sustain that role by seizing the opportunities of the new global era for the benefit of our own people and the people around the world. To do that, we're pursuing a forward-looking national security strategy for the new century. This report is submitted in accordance with Section 603 of the Goldwater Nichols Defence Department Reorganisation Act of 1986, sets forth that strategy and its core objectives are to enhance America's security, to bolster America's economic prosperity, to promote democracy and human rights abroad. And it goes on and on. See? Create war to give them democracy as you plunder them. Probably up tonight as their official document. Now, Alina Kagan, it says, it's like a Beck Kagan, like the Khazars, remember they were called Kagans, the, the kings and royalty, towards a pro-GM Supreme Court, it says. And it says, it's a good thing for Alina Kagan that there's no, uh, there's that no non-GMO litmus test for Supreme Court nominees, because she'd flunk. As Solicitor, Solicitor General Kagan is supposed to represent the interests of the American people in matters that come before the Supreme Court. Instead, she's gone to bat for Monsanto in a case that the court is currently considering. As I told you before, you see, all these people are connected with Monsanto. Monsanto is trying to overturn a 2007 California decision that imposed a nationwide injunction on planting the company's genetically modified alfalfa. In March, Kagan's office interceded on Monsanto's behalf, not the public's behalf. And there's a PDF on this, it says, for the whole brief, it says, even though the government was not a defendant in the appeal, the original suit was brought by Geertsen Seed Farms and a collection of environmental groups. So there she is, helping the private interests. So much for your public servants. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. Also, it says jury convicts the abortion provider Kermit Gosnell of murder. And it says uh, he was convicted Monday of three counts of first degree murder for severing the spinal cords of infants born during abortions. I actually did it, some of them after abortions, they were actually alive, they were, they were born. At his West Philadelphia clinic, he was also convicted of involuntary manslaughter in the 2009 death of a 41-year-old Virginia woman, Karnamaya. Mongar, who died from an overdose of drugs while undergoing an abortion at the clinic. Uh, prosecutors described the clinic as a house of horrors because of the unsanitary conditions and unsafe practices that defined it. Uh, of course, they had bits and bodies and jars and everything all over the place, and it was just a mess. He also had some big drug thing going on the go, too. He'd give out lots of painkillers to select clients who ne- weren't necessarily patients for abortion. But that, I don't know if they're even charging them for that. And also, too, everyone's heard about the, the shooting in New Orleans, which is nothing new. They're not playing up so much because apparently this is common there. They have these uh, main parades. This is a Mother's Day parade. But they also have a different one. It always follows it. They call it the, the line, they call it. They follow afterwards and they dance around and so on. And that, the, the people here said there's always shootings when they do the line, the, the lines, as they say, the dancing bunch behind them. And sure enough, they're shootings again this time. And uh, supposedly they've got a picture of one of the, the, the suspects. It's kind of blurry. They'll probably never get them. And it's very, very common down there. Big problem there. Also, too, 
this Article 2 is to do with debt. Debt is expected to soar over the next four years to a peak of $185 billion as the federal budget struggles to get back into the black, putting the nation's prized AAA credit rating in jeopardy. This is for Australia. And it says the Treasurer Wayne Swan's budget this week is tipped by economists to be a sea of red ink. In other words, it's a sort of tighten your belt to the public statement. You know, tighten your belt. Britain had that for as long as I've been alive. Tighten your belts, tighten your belts. As they tax you more and more and more. Also, I'll put up some articles tonight about the co-op bank that's been downgraded in Britain. And supposedly part of the reason it was downgraded is because bail-ins that they've had previously factored into the UK downgrade, it said. The six notches sliced off the UK lender cooperative banking group's credit rating last week and subsequent jump in bond yields showed that upcoming bank bail-in regimes matter a lot. Analysts use words like bizarre and extreme to describe the downgrade to junk status that flung the troubled bank into the spotlight Friday. To be clear, a six-notch rating cuts its mass, massive, and the difference between investment grade and junk is significant. Moody's has 21 notches in its scale, 10 are investment grade ratings, the rest are junk. Usually ratings move by one or two notches at a time. The main justification Moody's used for the cut from A3 to, to BA3 was the risk of write-downs on junior debt instruments and potentially the need for external support to maintain capital levels or best balance to come from the government. It means that in addition to possible government aid, co-op subordinated bondholders might have to contribute to its recapitalization, which they call bail-ins. So I'll put that one up too. And also, I mean, I'll put up an article too about Moody's, because Moody's, about uh, last year, the year before, I read the articles on it before, Moody's um, insiders blew the whistle on Moody's and how it's utterly corrupt inside. How they, they help their pals and, and lower, lower their enemies. I mean, Everything's corrupt when it comes to money, isn't it? Everything's corrupt. And yet the world's running on it. So it's all quite natural, because it never changes. Just leave it the way it is. It's meant to be this way, because you see, we're dominated by a small elite who've been running the money for an awful long time. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to be your God or your gods go with you.